Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. And we're here with a secret message. You guys have a what couple. Yeah, let me tell you, we have a couple of days left while you could still sign up for the Winter Collective and get $50 off using coupon code EARLYAF. What is the Winter Collective? Uh, well, the least boring study tool ever, obviously. We go through every single item on the task list in a real, raw, and relatable way. I promise you will not forget the way we teach you. If you're looking to get started on your studying and you're freaking out not knowing where to get started, we'll walk you through class one of I've signed up for the test, now where the hell do I start? All the way to every single last item on the task list and answering your questions last minute, save my ass. So go to www.studynotesaba.com and use coupon code EARLYAF to join us for the Winter Collective starting November 16th. Study Notes ABA. Behavior bitches. Hey guys, it's Liat and Casey. And oh my lord, we are at episode 71. Casey, what do you have for us today with episode 71? 71. We're gonna have some fun while we go for a run. Okay. We're getting better and better and better every time. It just excites me so much. So before we get started, I think we need to pair ourselves with some reinforcement and make ourselves feel good about ourselves. And I just said ourselves like at least 37 times for counting frequency. Casey, what is our review of the day? So this one's coming in from Danny D. Schwartz. Love you and 100% mean it. I feel like I found long lost sisters listening to this podcast. While I was studying for my exam, y'all were the ones keeping me sane while teaching me behavioral principles all at the same time. I found the podcast, which then led me to Snaba and the amazing community y'all have built there. Thank you for constantly disseminating the field and just making my days and my world better and brighter. Love you both. And I 100% mean it. Danielle, I know who you are. Thank you for that review. You're so sweet. I'm so happy you passed your exam. Congratulations. You are a BCBA, baby. Woo, Danielle, you deserve it. You studied your ass off. Let me tell you that. I know that you did every single thing you could possibly do. So congrats and welcome to the other side. Ha ha ha. No, I'm just kidding. Now the learning begins. <laughs> All right. Casey's not liking any of my jokes today. That's fine. You know, it takes a little while for us to pair ourselves with one another. <laughs> so let's get started with our guest today. We're very excited to have him. Um, if you don't know who he is, um, then he'll make sure you know who he is after today's episode. And this is someone we've heard on other podcasts, a BCBA doing cool things with his BCBA, or actually just with his understanding of behavior analysis, maybe not necessarily even using his BCBA part of it, but we'll ask all about that. And Casey, who is our guest today? All right. We are super excited to have Nick Green on today from Behavior Fit. Uh, Nick Green is a BCBA and he focuses on improving the health of others through practice and research. Um, he 
I've been, you know, looking at his website, it's just awesome. Um, his experience includes five years of clinical work with individuals diagnosed with developmental disabilities. He works within organizations to evaluate and improve processes and managing and overseeing the training of small teams. He's a badass and he's also super into fitness, Olympic weightlifting and functional fitness. So Nick Green, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I appreciate that intro. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to just to be a part of uh, the Behavior Bitches podcast and, you know, ready to get into it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's get bitchy. All right. Let's let's get bitchy. <laughs> yeah. All right. So first off, tell everyone kind of how you got into the field and what you're doing some cool shit. So tell everyone. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, so it is 2020. So I've been in the field now for a good 10 years. So just like I mentioned there in the, uh, you mentioned in my bio there that my first five years getting into the field uh, was uh, providing, you know, one-on-one -on -one therapy services. This is way beyond the, this is way before that whole RBT thing that people have to go through right now. So it was just, oh, yeah. you know, doing therapy. Fortunately, I had some really good mentors, but really it was uh, kind of before that, before I even got into the, you know, into the field, how did I get introduced to it, right? That's kind of everybody's story. It's, uh, you know, I I graduated from uh, Purdue with just a general degree in psychology, had no behavior analysis coursework at all. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was pretty much sampling everything. Um, I had five different majors, ended up with psychology. I started sampling different jobs afterward. You know, after graduation, I, uh, I started with, um, I was a mental health counselor. I'm using quotes because we're on video, but um, it's a, it was just like an entry-level position where it's like you're you're pretty much like a bill mill for a company. And, uh, you know, it's like, you're supposed to connect middle schools with the teachers and all that. I'm just like, if I knew now, or if I knew then what I knew now, I'm like, oh, I could have actually made a difference, but it was, you know, entry level, very, uh, underpaid job. And so after like a couple months of that, I was just like, well, I'm not really like, I knew deep down I wasn't making an impact. So I, I left that kind of industry. I was only there for three months. So I moved on, did sales and marketing, got into the fitness space. I, uh, learned uh, photography, worked in a photography studio. So you kind of are hearing now I've done a lot of different things and then come to, uh, I worked in a gym for a while. Then I had a colleague of mine at the gym that she, uh, she had a general psych background and she, uh, got a job as a therapist in an ABA clinic. And this was back in 2010. Um, I'm in Indiana. So we were a little ahead of the game as far as like, um, funding and everything and insurance mm -hmm. and all that. So the opportunities were, you know, I was fortunate, right? My environment had those opportunities for me. So I was like, okay, well, let me just try this. And I was like, I can work with kids. This seems like fun. So I did that for a couple of years, speed up the clock a little bit, uh, learned about this whole BC ABA thing, studied for that on the third edition. Uh, I was through Florida Tech. I learned that Florida Tech had a OBM degree. And I was like, okay, I'm 27, 20 at the time. I kind of like this science thing. I might as well try it. And so I moved to Florida, got my master's degree in OBM. That led to a PhD at the University of Florida, and I graduated in 2019. So that's kind of been my journey to date. So I'll kind of pause there because I'm sure you have all kinds of fun questions. And I was going to say, I didn't even include that. Yeah, PhD. Yeah. Like, hello, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. Dr. Nicholas Green. <laughs> What's up? Um, I have a lot of people asking us um, if they, you know, what the benefits of getting a PhD are. Mm -hmm. Is that, can you answer that for me? Cause I don't know. Yeah, I don't have well, one. You know, I, <laughs> you, <laughs> you question yourself, like, why am I here when I'm in the PhD program? But, but for me really, okay. The simple answer is like, if you think you want to go teach in academia or become like a lifelong researcher, mm -hmm. then that's your path. Like that's a ticket. That's what universities recognize PhD, right? You oh. can be faculty member, do research, or if you want to do like research grants, right? 
if you want to do that, if like, if you know from the get go, like when you were, I don't know, graduated middle school, like I want to be a researcher, good for you. But for me, like with my experiences, I had different majors, I had different jobs. I've been sampling different things in behavior analysis between, um, you know, obviously being involved early on with, um, you know, managing a behavior management team and then, um, being involved in health and fitness and OBM. So I have, like, I just kind of follow my interests, you know, the environment selecting by consequences, if you will, if we have anybody in the audience that knows anything about that. Oh, I'm um, sure they do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm speaking to the writing audience, but um, yeah, it was like, okay, just kind of follow the opportunity. So, you know, I, I just kind of looked at some of my peers who I respected that they were kind of PhD level, whatever that meant. I'm like, oh, well, I just, I want to go learn about like what that's about. And so I just kind of got into it. Then I'm, I was in the program for a couple of years. I'm like, oh, I'm on the other side. So now I just kind of, you know, have a newer skill set. So I appreciated that. So um, really my opportunity was like, well, you know, I'm 32. I like this research thing. Let me just see. Really, my test was like, am I going to get bitten by the research bug if I do it for a couple more years? I'm not a, I'm not a researcher now, like full time. You know, I work in industry. So it's like, OK, well, I guess not. But I gave it a try. There you go. Wait, that's interesting. So at, at least what I've seen with the doctorate level um it seems like if you're practicing using your bcba right mm -hmm. your uh certification that that means essentially I, I mean i think of it as okay you could bill insurance for a lot of I, am i wrong i mean that's what i i look at it as with your bcba mm -hmm. it means you could bill insurance for Correct. autism right. Right? Mm -hmm. right um and then but you could be a behavior analyst, let's say, oh, yeah. without being a BC. I think people like forget that that's also an option. And mm -hmm. but what I'm saying is, so as a BCB, if you're utilizing your BCBA, right, like you're working in a clinic with individuals mm -hmm. with autism, and you know, using that billing power that you have, right? I at least what I've seen, unless you know different, the doctorate level doesn't really seem to make a difference in terms oh, no. of no, no, no. Like, I don't, I don't even know if it affects pay. Oh yeah, that I mean I don't I've never used my BCBA certification for any type of billing, uh, classic in, like autism insurance billing situation. Interesting. Okay, so I was just wondering with that, but I, yeah. I do. But fundamentally, I mean, that mm -hmm. extra D that comes after the the BCBA, right? The D. If you got the D, you just pay. You just pay a couple extra hundred dollars more, and you get the D. Oh my God! Yeah. I'll pay a couple hundred dollars for the D. <laughs> It just depends. If that's right? all it took and I didn't have to write any papers for it, I'd get that D. Well, <laughs> it was a few and, hundred dollars. And you have a PhD. So PhD plus but plus the D. And PhD plus the extra letters, but functionally it doesn't it doesn't do anything different. It doesn't mean to say that you're a more competent um mm -hmm. BCPA certified person. Cool. But I think it's cool and it sounds awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you can walk around and say, yeah, I'm a doctor. Um, all right. So what it, that leads right into, well, there's two questions I mainly have, but uh -huh. like, okay. So you talked about research, right? Mm -hmm. So what research, um, if you, if you can talk about that you've done, that you've been a part of. Oh no, it's all secret. I can't share it. <laughs> Episode over. No, <laughs> no. what research have I been a part of, um, just in, in my career? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mine really focused on um, so getting into research, right? The master's program, uh, FIT. We you know do research there, right? So we did a thesis, and so at the time, you know, oftentimes I'm asked like, "How did you get into like health and fitness?" I'm like, "Well, it was a combination of uh, I needed to like make personal changes for my own life because I was kind of getting out of shape, getting out of shape, heading on the wrong path." So I started learning about this whole like 
sitting is bad for you and like sitting is the new smoking. If you check out, you know, my blog and Instagram feed, you'll see all that. And, you know, it's just a general public health message that I learned about back. This was back in 2014. I'm just like, oh, this research is unique. Um, what's happening in behavior analysis with this type of stuff? And so then I dug into, okay, physical activity, what's been happening there. So I learned about that research and there really hasn't been much, you know, much hasn't been done just on exercise and physical activity, you know, across the mm -hmm. board, right, in our journal. So right. um, I was like, well, I guess I can try and see what happens. And um, so I looked at um, reducing sitting in the workplace, you know, so looking at re reducing sitting in populations of office workers. Mm -hmm. um, so research is clear on uh, we're living in a pandemic, right? So think about this. We're all in sedentary occupations. We're all sitting at a desk eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. So looking at the social significance of that target behavior, I combined all those pieces. And so I, I, I then through my master's program and then through the PhD program, I, I targeted just different variations like feedback goal setting on getting people to move more at work. People wore Fitbits. And so, um, you know, there's individual differences. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. So um, there we I go. Can I can feel you on the um, sitting. I think this week my mm -hmm. ass is growing into my chair. Like it's taking on uh, its Technically, own. <laughs> it's uh, called muscle atrophy. Your ass is disappearing if you're sitting on it because you're, you're not using your ass muscles. They're disappearing. It's crazy how long you can sit and work and not realize that you've been sitting for 10 hours. I yeah. only realized that the other day when Casey's husband, Matt, left before like while we were still doing work in the morning he had already mm -hmm. gone out gone to work gone golfing like walking along the way i don't know right. and and he's like you guys are still sitting and i was like oh my god crap i guess i mean and yeah. he drove 45 minutes to get to the golf course and, and then 45 minutes home and right. i didn't even realize it and he walked in he's like have you gotten up from the, your desk and i'm like no what time is it and he's like it's like six o'clock at night we left here at like eight this morning casey and i was like holy mm -hmm. crap like it happens so fast, especially, you know, when right. you're doing what you love, but mm -hmm. it's. So the public health message here is reduce the volume, how much time you sit throughout the day. So just roughly, if you can shave off an hour or two a day, that's great. Um, see, we're on video, so you can see me. I am. I, I was just going to ask that. You're standing. I have a standing desk, right? So I can move around and it's adjustable moving up and down. And again, um, when I talk about standing and moving and just being generally physically active, Sitting isn't the devil. It's okay. You can be tired and walk around. Sitting's okay. It's you just can't sit there for too long, um, too often. So reduce the volume and then break up your sitting pattern, um, uh, you know, as much as you can. So just take like a two-minute walk or break every like hour, every fifty minutes, and that's just you know minimum standards. Because if you think about it, if you sit at the desk for um, eight hours, right? I'm asking mm -hmm. you to engage in what's the duration of activity here to leave your desk for two minutes every hour. And that's a whole 16 minutes, of, act 16 minutes of activity, right? And we, I'm sure we've all been on click holes that last longer than 20 minutes. So, you know, yeah. it's what I say is very simple, but uh, actually engaging in behavior change is very difficult because you are uh, the reinforcer of working on study notes or behavior bitches podcasts or, you know, talking to people now, like I, I uh, you know, it's, it's an environmental constraint here. You have to be at your desk sitting down unless you stood up and walked away and took your microphone with you, you know, right. did whatever. But uh, there's, there's a lot of pieces in there. So I looked at that because it, it impacts all of our lives everywhere. So again, public health message, move every hour for a little bit and just reduce your sitting time, you know, as, as, as feasible as you can, you know, as much as you can. 
I think what we need to do, Liat, I'm just like thinking about our own life. We need to have an, a reminder that goes off every hour. And it's like, no matter what, it's not, we have to mm-hmm. get up and move. Yeah. But you know what the crazy thing is? That the reminder seems like such a pragmatic, useful, like no shit kind of thing. But the, the like my Apple watch goes off every however long and is like, just breathe. And I'm like, shut the F up. You think I have time to breathe right now for one full <laughs> right. minute? Right. It's like, are those... Is- are those stimuli functional? You know, do they mean anything to you? And That's you'll the become, problem. And you'll become satiated. You got to mix it up. But really, you know, pro- again, what do we know about the contingencies, right? We can mm-hmm. prompt behavior to, to, to make it happen, but then the consequences have to take over. So if there's never meaningful consequences, it'll change, right? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, let's say, let's say, uh, uh, Leon and Casey, you worked in the same office building, you know, exactly a one minute walk apart and let's say the only th- the only way you could communicate about uh i don't know whatever your whatever the producer alan has to say like you have to physically go meet each other a minute walk away and then go back mm-hmm. like you have to like think about how to contrive situations as ridiculous as that to like change your day-to-day work habits so you can't so you have yeah. to limit like how you, you have communicate that, you have to build that mo essentially right right you have to build it into your day you have to you have to make meaningful change and it has to be you know valuable and important to you as a health outcome um again i i preface that with uh like i feel like that's not enough though because i mean which part is not enough the value it part because i mean oh yeah yeah, yeah. i would Mm -hmm. love i would love to do healthy things the same way i would love to learn hebrew and i'm like telling my husband speak to me in hebrew so i but like honestly response effort wise like he's Israeli. So I'm like, just speak to me in Hebrew, but like response effort wise, it's like, okay, we're in America. It makes more sense. Like that. We just speak in English right now, as opposed to like yeah, me yeah. trying to complicate it, tell you what I want for dinner. Yeah. So I, it's, I, it's hard. Yeah. And I don't go down like the crazy, I don't say crazy, but I don't go down talking about like values too much with people. It's like, you're, you're going to figure out whatever you like, you know, people have different religions, backgrounds, you know, everything's that you value, but just like, just say it's important that we can agree on. Like when I work with clients, it's like, if you value long-term health, cool, we can work together. And that's that's what everything's kind of, you know, couched in. It's like, all right, everything I'm going to recommend, you know, as far as like regular movement and activity and exercise is because, you know, just me as a result of being in a research program for so long, it's like, oh, I had more time to read about the research articles that says, oh, yeah, when you progressively, uh, you know, have good, you know, exercise ra- habits and routines, it's going to lead to, you know, uh, when you, when everybody's 75, you're probably going to be better off if you move more versus if you don't, because what happens, weaker heart, weaker bones, you know, you don't live as long, things like that. So everything I, I, my, I, when I talk about values, just kind of really like just on the surface like that, but I, I see your point too there. Yeah. No, I mean, I want to be like that. And I, I just, I think also when it comes to the delayed reinforcers, you know, oh sure. um, mm-hmm. you know, it's in that moment of like, Mm, that extra yep. taco looks really good. Right. Or mm, I could just stay and watch one more episode of Netflix, whatever right. over here or in the future, like that moment, that reinforcer seems, you know, right. More, more salient potent. or yeah. Sure. Or right. potent than the idea of being healthy at 70. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And and even with that, you could break down like what does healthy at 70 look, look like for you, Leah? What does healthy look like for you, Casey? It could have, two totally different paths. And then also you have to look at, all right, we, we want to pinpoint both behavior and results. Okay. How do I know when I am healthy? What are the behaviors that need to lead up to it? And, and bridging that gap is the hard part because you're going to have to build in, 
you know, contrive social reinforcers, all those things, right. To, to get us to that result, right. It's, um, uh, I want to lose 20 pounds. Okay. What is that going to take to get there? Okay. That's going to be 23 months down the road. What are the things I need to do in between? Okay. That, that's kind of like the general model when I work with clients. It's like, all right, get your activity up. Uh, we're going to track whatever you need to. And then we'll monitor those things for two to six weeks. And, you know, wherever the, whatever the reinforcers are, you know, my goal is to really try to get you into contact with some type of natural contingency because I can't, I can't control what you're going to consume and, you know, run into mm -hmm. in your world. So it's like, okay, how can I get you to a place, you know, that kind of hits these check marks and we start building and working on maintenance targets and stuff like that. When you're working with clients, sorry, Case, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I'm good at it. Um, what <laughs> she's giving me the finger. Do you feel when you're working with clients that you have to ever reestablish that MO in terms of like, they might come in day one and they're feeling it's mm -hmm. January 1st. They're feeling gross as fuck. I mean, they've been eating mm -hmm. everything to like really live up <laughs> the end of 2020, right? Yeah, like let's say they're yeah. like, 2020 sucked. I've eaten everything my, I wanted. My, my diet starts Monday, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so they come in motivated, right? Sure. And then, okay, they might do good those couple of days. Do you feel like you're having to, first of all, having to, you know, reestablish or rebuild that MO? And second of all, do you feel like your behavior background gives you a, I don't know about an advantage, but, or maybe helps you, mm -hmm. um, different than like a normal, maybe tip personal trainer or nutritionist. Yeah. Um, because you understand all about MOs and building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So really it's more so like on the front end of whenever I go through like a longer, like intake assessment. Okay. Tell me how long you've been thinking about this. What are the reasons why? Right. Okay. We kind of have that, you know, again, I'm also a salesman. I know marketing, right. I know how to like, take verbal statements and remind people of like, Oh, I mean, if you said, you know, you're not going to, you don't want to guilt people, but it's like, okay, how are we, you know, based on your behavior now, like if we talked about, we wanted to achieve, like if you're learning how to do a push up and we're not doing that, like, is this no longer important to you? You're like, it's always that continuous cycle of like, okay, this is what you said you want to do, right? That would be our indication. You're motivated to learn how to lift weights. Okay, great. Now we went through two to four weeks and we didn't, we didn't meet our goals. Okay. Was there something wrong with the intervention? Did I not support you as much as I needed to, or did something change? And that's how I kind of look at I'll, I'll always looking at like re reassessing and evaluating motivation because it is it's a week to week by weekly basis. Um, and so the great thing again about being a behavior analyst is that my job is to help you figure out your goals. And the key here, right? This is this is behavioral science. It's not rocket science. It's behavior science, right? We're gonna take lots of data and analyze it as quickly as we can. And that's a piece that probably that separates me apart from most other professionals in the health space is I'm going to figure out how to take objective data as much as possible, right? Because you have, you know, I have a client that tells me, oh, we did Weight Watchers and we just do like points and we go over it once a week. I'm like, well, there's some variability and other things happening. Nothing against Weight Watchers. That's just, you know, an example. So we have to look at, all right, what happened, right, in these, in these past couple of weeks that allowed us to, you know, reach our goals? Let's talk about that. Okay. And then we just kind of move on. And so... Uh, we move on to the next goal. So it's really assessing, okay, all right, this is your behavior. This is what you reported on. Does this, and you know, most of the time it's going to, you know, add, you know, go in the right direction, of course. And, and just kind of the, the hidden MO piece behind this, I think is uh, people are paying me. 
they got skin mm -hmm. in the game, right? That is a big motivational piece. I'm paying you X amount of dollars a month to help me reach my goals. So, you know, when we talk about interventions and everything, that is a big part of it, you know, so. And the buy-in too, right? Like you right. gotta like pair yourself with them. Um, mm -hmm. Right. Have them, you know, it's they're actually, trusting you. It's really interesting. So I don't know what's happened. Like a lot of people in my like Jewish community over here where I live, have been disappearing. And by disappearing, I mean, they have lost more than half of their body weight. And I'm like, what the hell is everyone doing around here? Mm -hmm. And there's this diet or program, I think it used to be called Nutrisystem. Okay. And now it's called something else. And basically you have to buy all your snacks through them and all this stuff. And you spend a shit ton of money on it. And I think that's interesting because like, I think that alone, even like aside from what the snacks are, um, or like when you're paying so much money to do something, mm -hmm. you feel more obligated or oh, sure. that, that buy-in. And that, so I think it's really interesting. I feel like that's probably part of their- Oh yeah, that's a big part of it, yeah. Also though, like how sustainable is like having to order this like weird ass shit food- I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I like, I like, I judge the diet a lot. I'm like, okay that's cool. They're supposed to have like six snacks a day and no meals. And like the snacks are like popcorn, <laughs> you know, like that's crazy to me. But also I'm like, okay, that's supposed to be during your, you know, your intervention phase. Then you have a maintenance phase and the maintenance is very similar. And I'm like, this doesn't sound sustainable. But mm -hmm. what I'm saying is it's interesting that I'm not talking about like how great the diet is for maintenance or sustaining, mm -hmm. you know, keeping the weight off. It's interesting that people are doing this. And I'm like, I think that that's one of the huge variables is this huge amount of money you invest in it. Yeah. And you think about, you know, when people learn about my work, it's like, okay, they've gone through, they've got, they found me on social media or on a podcast or whatever it is, or a referral from a friend, then they go to my website. So it's, you know, all these little pieces along the way that, you know, I'm, I'm selling somebody on a service, right? I'm saying I can help you, you know, with sustainable behavior change based on, you know, science of human behavior and, you know, go down the path and you, people get stuck. There's a lot of things happening in the world, you know, pandemic or not. And so, you know, people, you know, so it, it's that value proposition too of trading. Okay. I want an expert who knows what they're doing and I will pay them so much money to say, yes, give me the plan. This is what we're going to do. And you know what I mean? And we move forward just like what both of you do um, mm -hmm. with study notes, right? It's like, okay, you've been to the grind. You've talked to thousands of students, you know, the feedback. And it's just like, that's, that's the, that's the exchange there. Right. It's, 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 um, right. It's like, how do I make a parallel? It's like, you're not going to pay somebody to study with you like every day for, you know, for three months, it's going to be like, okay, you come to a coaching session. We'll teach you the principles and then mm -hmm. you fade out or pass yeah. the test, fade out or fade mm -hmm. back in. Then you have your, then you have your group that, you know, the, the failure group or, you know, what or, you know, didn't make it this time. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll put it that, you know, and just do the, the rehash stuff like that. So. So I think that, um, you know, that's a big thing that we always say is that, and maybe you say this too, like, we're going to give you the tools and the skills, um, mm -hmm. you know, to, to study, to pass your exam, but you've got to right. do the work. You have to lift the weights. We cannot lift the weights for you. Right, if you right. don't open your Cooper book, that's not our fault, right? <laughs> like mm -hmm. you have to, and we always say that, like, you got to lift the weights. We'll give you all the tips mm -hmm. and tricks and, you know, how to make study fun and, you know, manipulate your environment for all those things. Um, mm -hmm. um but yeah, if you don't, and you probably see this with your clients too at some point when you're like, we, you come, they come back and they're like, oh, but I actually didn't read Cooper. Mm, well, shit. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, I would say similar. And then the one caveat would be different would be like, I'm actually 
teaching uh, skills to, to get to, you know, so a lot of people that I'm working with, I'll say a lot of people, but a few people I'm working with, like I, I present, okay, they don't really have any guidance or skill set, a, a fitness repertoire that I call it to say, mm-hmm. um, okay, do you know how to squat properly? Do you know how to do a push-up? Okay, no, I've never been taught that. Okay, great. All right, let's, I have gone through a task analysis and broken the push-up down. And Okay, here we go. Here are the steps. We're going to mm-hmm. do it. You progress and get, you know, you master the 10 steps, and you make those steps harder, right? So if it's a push-up, right, you you do a wall push-up, and the goal then to be progressively get down to the floor to do a push-up off the ground. Why? Because it's functional. Why? Because if you fall down, you need to get yourself up. Why? You need to, you know, <laughs> sa- save yourself or, you know, or save someone else, you know, based on physical strength. Because that's something that, you know, personal, you know, is my personal opinion, right? I think you always need to be strong and well. And, and like, you, you know, you never want to be in a situation where you're like your physical health and, and, and wellness is a limitation to, to succeed at whatever you need to, to get done. I feel like Liat feels that with her, with her uh, autoimmune disorders. I, I do feel that very strongly. <laughs> like there yeah. was one day you did like a little bit of exercise. It was like, I don't know what you were doing. You're like boxing or something at home. And like, I don't think you could like move for like six days after you're like <laughs> that 10 minutes. No, it's just that sometimes I'm like too much too my, soon. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, my problem is, is that I've, I went from being like the most intense worker out person. Like I'd be like, okay, I'm running eight miles today, whatever it was, like before I'd lupus. Oh, I do Muay Thai, this and that. And so all my workouts were so intense that, and I never enjoyed like maybe what are probably better for me now, like having lupus and stuff, like maybe doing some yoga or some walking. walking. So like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, like a, a middle. So it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'll just go back to my boxing, whatever. And then I'm like, yeah, oh, balls. Mm-hmm. I can't move. Yeah. So you take a combination of somebody's preferences and then, you know, so you used to do my Muay Thai intensively. Now you don't do that. So you kind of have like a new baseline to pull from. And then it's a matter of like, okay, do I want to do something new? Is that something, does that something new, like a push up? Does that require a skill set? Okay. You know, some people say, well, that's intimidating. I don't want to go to the gym. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't want to look stupid. I'm like, well, how do we get past that? Right. How do we decrease the odds that somebody says that they have less confidence, feel, don't feel, you know, I feel stupid in these things. Like, well, it's probably a skill deficit, right? Start there. Do you have the skill? Okay. Now is it a motivation issue? Okay. What are those other variables that keep you from doing that? Okay. Too many people. Okay. Go do, go to the gym when there's less traffic. Okay. Is there some other issue? Like you can always, you know, you can hear, I guess I'm, I'm, you can hear me as I talk out loud, I guess. <laughs> is it like, there's always another question to ask. Like I just mm-hmm. never stop on like any type of, uh, you know, construct like willpower or you know motivation is sometimes like a loose term too it's like well i'm not motivated i'm like well, i don't know what that means but i can break it down and say like i'm not motivated to do a push-up okay well that means you've probably never successfully done a push-up or been taught so it's not so much you're motivated they're not motivated it's like you just didn't have the teaching trials to put you in a position to say i'm motivated to do a push-up because i know i can do it right and i've got good right. form and it feels mm-hmm. good and yeah yeah. And those skills will then transfer to other areas of your life of just like, you know, for me, I was never uh, um, strong and fit. And now I am at 36 years old, I'm in the best shape of my life. And just over years and trials of looking at how all these uh, strength pieces generalize to other areas of your life, then you're like, oh, yeah, I know I can. I'm looking out the window now. It's like, I know there's some wood over there I need to chop. and I know I can just pick it up without a problem. And I know how to safely uh, carry it from A to B. Um and that's, you know, that's what working out's all about is making your whole life better. In all different aspects. All different because aspects, yeah. It's one of those things, like, I know if I, you know, move my body during the day and I have a spin mm-hmm. bike, like you see right next to my desk, it's, I, 
six inches away from me. So like, <laughs> trying to uh, reduce that response. Uh -huh. right Based there. on our earlier conversation, maybe we would have put that, put that as far away down the hall as we can to build in more activity, right? <laughs> yeah. You said you have a small condo or your small yeah. layout, but like yep. put it as far away as possible or put like, if you have dumbbells, put the dumbbells on there. So you have to take them off. Mm -hmm. Like those are those are the those are the antecedent environmental manipulations you have to think about. Like, oh yes, we're winning. But maybe, music. but maybe it might <laughs> decrease the likelihood that she gets on it. Maybe if it's <laughs> far down the hallway. That is it. That is a fair statement. Right. Like maybe yeah. it's like, listen, this is right in your effing face. Like you've got to mm -hmm. get on this. I mean, mm -hmm. to be honest, my treadmill is like the first thing I see when I go down the stairs, and like it's just not helping that it's there. It's not like. It's like, oh, this is a great hanging rack for anything. <laughs> mm -hmm. But some people may say, uh, you know, you need separate spaces. You know, you need tighter stimulus control set up. Okay. Yeah. I'm in an office. I only have work stuff here. I don't have my office. You know, I don't take, I don't take my laptop around my living room or the dining room. It's like work mode, fitness mode. And of course, everybody has unique situation or circumstances or tiny floor plans. Yes. Right. Casey lives Make in a work. tiny tiny house. My my recumbent cycles on the ceiling. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I have to hang it from the ceiling. And that's the thing about too separating work environments and when you work from home and my oh, living sure. room in my kitchen and my bed, everything's here. It's like there is no I mean, and I try to make like little sections to section things off. Um you just have to yeah. get creative. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, response effort game winning right now, but then okay, but you're gonna possibly lose the general physical activity game, right? Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about a day in the life of Nicholas a, Green. A day in the life. Yeah. Sure. A day in the life. Living the dream. What does that <laughs> dream look like? Yeah. Has you COVID affected like, you? Do you want to go from like wake up to, to bedtime or? Like what is like day in and day out of your job? Like uh, are you currently just doing behavior fit stuff? With oh, clients? okay. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have a full-time job. Behavior fits basically my, my side hustle, something mm -hmm. that I've learned to love over the years. Um, but, uh, uh, it's really, um, wake up, do a little behavior fits side hustle, go work out, come home, shower, breakfast, family, do the, do the main job for, you know, eight, eight, nine hours, come home, family time. And then, you know, behavior fit clients, you know, on the weekend. So. So what's your main or in, job? Or, or in the evenings. My main job, I'm a clinical systems analyst for a large ABA provider. So I'm able to infuse my OBM expertise with uh, kind of systematic change in my, my skills and data analysis to help clinicians do their jobs better. That sounds really smart, but what does it mean? Like what, what do you do in a day in that role? It sounds cool. Oh, sure. Yeah. So like, what do you do? Like, are you like, oh, we're not getting any change here. Like we're not seeing behavior change. Yeah. We're not so my, one of my biggest roles then is to basically I need to come up with like we have many centers over many states. So we need to generate as much like meaningful clinical analyses as possible. So you have many BCBAs that are um, in clinics and say like, okay, are they performing? Are they are they billing what they're what they're supposed to? Do we have a problem with an insurance company in the state of uh, Georgia? Do we have issues with um you know, attendance with, with patients or something like that. So looking at, it's more of like big data on like what everything that BCBA does just at, you know, like at the organizational level. So, um, it, I provide analyses for kind of like middle management and executive leadership to say like, okay, here we need to make some changes. Um, you know, our training process seems to be a little low, you know, um, you know, maybe slowing down in this area. Here's a, a possible bottleneck. Um, just with my OBM background and training, I look at, 
I use a, a, a tool and a process called process mapping. Um, or both of you teach process mapping maybe in your course. I've heard of it. Um, yeah, but I haven't. Yeah. So it's really like, it. I think Maggie was telling me about it. Is it like mm -hmm. when you're looking at the process of how things are done and a lot of times I might be wrong, mm -hmm. like things that are being done are just done because that's how they've been for a while, but as opposed to looking at how the process could run more effectively, or am I making right. this up? Yeah, no, no, that's right. So you have like, you really, you want to create like an is map or like how things are right now. And then the way things should be. And when there's discrepancies, you kind of look at those gaps and identify, okay, well, this, this person in this department should probably give this person feedback. And it's really just, it's boxes and arrows on a page, like moving left to right. So you could say like, okay, when a client starts with our clinic, what mm -hmm. has to happen? They have to go to the director and they have to say, you know, they meet with the parents and the parents sign the form and then the form goes to the billing person and the billing person tells the BCBA, hey, it's time to write a plan. So you look at those kind of simple steps, but when when you're part of a big organization like myself, you have multiple departments handling multiple steps and processes. And so it gets it can get pretty involved pretty quick. So my job is to really kind of identify what are the possible gaps? How do we, what are the solutions? And then provide like the appropriate analysis. So I don't have as much impact right now, like on the intervention side of like, um, here's what I think we should do, but it's more mm -hmm. of like on the, I'm providing like the baseline data, which is a very important part of the process. Like that's the big antecedent to drive change. So I'm able to bring my expertise kind of on that side of um, the operation. Does that paint the picture a little better? Yeah, I think that's okay. so important because- yeah. A lot of these, you know, uh, like we help with, you know, recruiting for some jobs or matching and like people up with uh, jobs at different clinics. And, you know, the main thing I see with a lot of clinics is none of the strategies being utilized for this, for the, let's say the clients or individuals with autism mm -hmm. are being like, I feel like they're not utilizing it with staff or with their business running efficiently or, um, I mean, efficiently and ethically and, um, and it's just like, I feel like your position is needed at so many more places and we hear about something mm -hmm. like that offered. Yeah. There's a, there's a nice little phrase I think that goes without, uh, I'll borrow it from my, my buddy, uh, Dr. Polly gloves, Paul Gavoni. If you, if you've seen him around the MMA guy, um, he's like, uh, the term that goes with that is called behavioral myopia and maybe somebody else said it, but, uh, Myopia being like you're so close to the situation uh, that you just don't really see what's going on. And so you forget like, oh, the principles are scientific laws and they apply to all levels of organizations, businesses, society, culture, life. So it's like, you know, it's the classic. I'm going to implement the principles of uh, of ABA to, you know, with with the kids at our clinic. But I have a I have a dog that's not trained. Right. That's a classic example of like, oh, I don't know why my, my dog's being that way. Like, well, it's the same same principles. All right. Maybe yeah. I'm calling you out there. Didn't mean yeah. to. <laughs> but that's that's like one example of what it, uh, some type of behavior. But it'd be like so. So you may be aware, Liat, of that situation. My dog does goofy things, too, but I I love the heck out of him anyway. But it's just like, OK, some sometimes you're just not aware. That's kind of the biggest thing. Right? It's like, oh. Well, I don't know what's happening. Well, I don't know why my employees are doing this. Like, well, did you provide the knowledge, skills, and resources and training? Okay, no. Uh, did, no, did I you haven't get... provided him with it. It's my fault. I already know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I the, need to provide more resources. 
Have we given that employee, have we given that dog feedback for doing the right thing? Have we given them praise for being quiet versus barking, right? Have you given uh, appropriate feedback to the employee who has turned things on on time, right? What's that ratio look like? You know, so there's all sorts of things in there. And of course, I'm going to rub off on, you know, certain, you know, uh, team members in my company and say like, well, if I, if I were in your position, you know, being the one that can implement change and is responsible for, you know, saying like, hey, we should do this. I'm like, if I... If I'm wearing my behavioral hat now, which I do all the time, it's like I might want to start measuring some behavior related to this employee, you know, um, mm -hmm. you know, target here, right? It's a yeah. um, good, easy example everybody knows about. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's infections. Are we? We're we're measuring uh, infection rates across this across the world, mm -hmm. across the state, but we have no data on how well our state is is doing. On actually wearing masks right or yeah. washing hands like i i imagine the public health like researchers could get out there and like you just go observe a group of people in a public space for you know an hour and count how many people wearing the mask versus not maybe they're doing the doing the research i don't know but that, i guess that's how you would do it you know it's like so but again focusing on the target behavior and then you measured it are you giving feedback on what you want to see right yeah so. And I think what I had seen on your Instagram, the perceived risk versus the oh, actual right. that risk. Was, that was yesterday. And yeah. uh, what's going on because everyone's getting so complacent because it's just continuing mm -hmm. to drag the F on. And mm -hmm. maintaining those standards are is getting less and less. I think with anything, right? It's uh, things get scary. We all react. And it was very stressful for everybody in the first couple of months. And we figured it out. And in the meantime, it's like, okay, how many times have we, what are, what are the, what are the natural reinforcers? What are the natural contingencies for wearing a mask, right? Mm -hmm. we, we can yell till we're blue in the face. And this is kind of like a classic behavior-based safety um, kind of sub-discipline within OBM. It's like, uh, okay, yeah, we need to wear our hard hats, but what are the good things that happen when we wear our hard hats? Something yeah. new and different, but, you know, we can't expect, you know, we can only follow rules for so long, you know, without, without meaningful, you know, contingencies. I was going to say, you're coming into Okay, no, coming into contact with the consequence of or, you know, maybe right. getting COVID or That's knowing right. someone that had it. Um, mm -hmm. When you don't come into those, that behavior is not going to be maintained. You're going right. to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I see myself too, like slipping sometimes. And I'm like, right. nope. So that, was, so that was kind of my, you know, it's that my drawing was like, you kind of have the, the risk is always going to be the same. Sure, there's variables, right? You know, distance and mask and all that. But like, okay, the infection rates, this possibility mm -hmm. is that. But then over time, our behavior is probably going to change. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so habituated. I'm, I'm done wearing the mask. I forgot it. And, you know, those things happen. Like, I I occasionally fit my, you know, forget my mask uh, when it's in the car and I have to go back and get it. Like, those things happen, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but you go just, back and get it. You don't just go into the place. But you go back. Yeah, you go back yeah. and get it. Um, exactly. So. Um, so if a person was going to Behavior Fit, right, and going to your mm -hmm. website, um what could they like expect as like their um you know whether it's initial assessment or what you provide mm -hmm. um give them a little info a little taste a little taste well yeah. what's gonna happen is i'm gonna give you a prescription and you gotta do it and that's it no um <laughs> it's uh really it's just uh, really identifying like what your need is most people kind of fall into the general i call it the lifestyle kind of change You're, you feel like you're stuck you don't know where to begin uh, many people come from different backgrounds. Like I have no experience and this happened. Doctor said, blah, blah, blah. You know, so I'm really kind of identifying like who kind of fits. That's everybody. Um, but, uh, you really, you're looking for that 
um, my expertise in a behavioral angle, of course, to uh, to meet your needs. Um, but uh, you have that, and then you have like people I've helped with like sports performance goals specifically. So I worked with like an amateur runner, and we targeted like in-depth Garmin marathon data and everything to look at. Okay, what is she overtraining, undertraining? Looking at those days, setting specific you know uh, goals like that. But really, it's about identifying. Okay, what type of client? are you okay most people fall in that first bucket and then it's okay we uh the the general process is you reach out to me right it's uh here are my needs okay we talk about it and then it's then it's a matter of matching up okay this is the way i'm going to approach health and fitness behavior change um if this sounds good to you and this looks like a, a viable solution we go forward and then it then it's a a longer intake form then we're meeting regularly face to face over telehealth i was doing telehealth before telehealth was cool <laughs> so because <Nice. laughs> I, I, I and that's the interesting thing that you know, it's kind of tie into my story here it's like i said when i started my phd program i started my blog it was just a blog at the time and i was like okay i'm doing research i like the blog and i probably spent about as much time blogging and doing workshops and presentations as i did doing research so you know sorry mm -hmm. jesse my advisor that i didn't do as much research but you know <laughs> i was following my interests and you know I still got out. So <laughs> that was always the caveat that my wife was a BCBA. She's like, you need to finish. Like, whatever you do, it's like, I'll support you. But, you know, we moved, to Florida for you. we moved to Florida for you to get these damn degrees. So we need to move on. So, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So what, what was I talking about? Blogs, workshops, uh, meeting with people. Lost my train of thought. Um, uh, I think it was coming back to um, like how you then, you go through the longer intake. Oh, yeah talking about telehealth intake so um yeah so i started doing telehealth yeah back uh back going on five years ago now so um yeah so then early on i kind of have it divided into an acquisition phase mm -hmm. then a what comes after the acquisition phase everybody maintenance phase Ma oh <laughs> maintenance phase and then i call <laughs> it my, <laughs> um, then in, then i call it my independence phase so it's like more intense intervention services at the beginning then as you become independent you're meeting your goals and we fade out and then and then the last phase is more of independent. So it's like, okay, that could be just like a monthly check-in to make sure, you know, regular monitoring. And that's really the, that's the, that's the ebb and flow of like, okay, we worked on things. Now you have to do on, on your own. All right. Now what's the least amount of intervention to make sure that, you know, you're good. And then that's it. And that's really, you know, it's all individually based. And then I, what I share with people is like the great thing about taking data is like, it's also information on my performance as a coach and a behavior analyst. If we see that we haven't changed anything for two weeks and we're not meeting your goals, that means I'm not providing the right recommendation, strategy, whatever. So that's awesome. Yeah. And people can find you where? At www.behaviorfit.com. And Instagram at behaviorfit. Yep. Mostly Thank active on, on the gram because that's where most people's eyeballs are nowadays. I really like your page. I you put oh, out thank some great you. stuff you do i try yeah so but you can follow me it you know everything auto posts to facebook and twitter and do some youtube things but man it's mostly on the gram and do a little podcast yeah, we don't hit insights. the we don't hit twitter at all yeah it's for me it was more of like the behavioral response effort piece of just like i don't want to spend that much time on another app you know i have other yeah. things to do mm -hmm. <laughs> like if yeah, i have my groove much. i have my creative groove creating my graphics getting feedback, engaging with people. So mm -hmm. I was just like, that's good. Yeah, it's just a lot. Up the work, Nick. You are doing awesome stuff. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'm glad we got to record this. It's been a oh, yeah. long, it's long been, time coming. 
no, yeah, I appreciate everything that you're doing. And um, uh, yeah, I know it's been, uh, uh, for me, it's been very educational to get back into your podcast again and just recognize how cool it is that just, you know, you being yourselves, just doing your thing. It's really bringing a lot of attention to, you know, how you can uh, be cool people and still have fun with behavior analysis. And, you know, I try to do that in my own flavor. So, you know, I'm glad yeah. that I could be on. Boom, pound, Thank pound you. it out. Boom. I love it. <laughs> like bones All in right, my everybody, he just punched his microphone you so if you want to know what happened. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Thank you guys for coming and listening to us and allowing us to drive with you, breastfeed with you, or whatever else that you're doing. Work that I probably with you. don't work with you. Um, I don't know if you're doing anything weird with us, just don't tell us. Um, you know where to find us. You can find us on Instagram at Behavior Bitches Podcast, Facebook at Behavior Bitches Podcast or online at behaviorbitches.com. Thank you guys for the love. And as always, love you. Mean it. Hey guys, it's Liat. And Casey. We just want to take a second to let you know that if you're thinking of being a millennial like us, and starting your own podcast, there is a way. You can do your show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard, because guess what? We don't know shit with that. But we have Alan at Pretty Easy Podcast who helped us get started. He records our shows, he posts them, he adds awesome, awesome music and cool shit when we don't even know what he's doing. He sends us teaser episodes. He does it all. We just sit here and friggin' talk. We shoot the shit and you can record from home, your office, the park, a bathroom stall at work. It doesn't matter. He provides the complete podcast studio. All you need is a microphone and you're good. Alan caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. He has been super flexible with our schedule whenever we need him we go to google calendar we just book him and he does all the hard work it's like so incredibly easy that's why it's probably called pretty easy podcast so be heard and have some fun podcasting like us go to prettyeasypodcast.com today